Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Well, hey, can we give it up for all the moms this morning? We love you. And definitely a shout out to my mom, Cindy. We love you wherever you're watching from. I always know if nobody else is watching church, mom's watching. So uh, I've got my lovely, lovely bride, Amanda, up here. Welcome her today, would you? I'm so Hi. thankful to have her. And I just want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom, too. Yep. We love you, Linda. So, hey, uh, we get to have a conversation and this is the third time we get to have it. So there's no telling where this might go here this morning. But uh, we're we're talking through uh, a concept, a topic here that I think is going to really connect with you as 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 mothers and really as parents. And and if there's anybody in your life that you have a desire to see uh, come to a saving understanding of Jesus, I think this is really going to going to connect with you today. But we've been in a series called I'm with the band and uh, we're kind of finishing out this series with a a talk that we've called Passing on Faith. And and so I want to start off by talking about fear a little bit. If uh, if you are a parent, what you know is that as soon as you have children, all of a sudden you are are dealing with fears that you never knew existed before. I mean, it's scary to raise children. It's scary to have these little humans that, uh, you know, all of a sudden are dependent on you. I don't know, Amanda, would you say that you tapped into some fears when you first started having kids? Yeah, day two. When we were being released Day from the two. hospital. It's pretty quick. I was like, so who's coming home with us? Like, who's going to Like a chaperone or something? Yeah. Yeah, take care of this baby. And, and nobody did. They just sent us home alone. They made like, sure the car seat was we strapped in, right? Yeah. So we went to Chick-fil-A. We did. <laughs> Took her right to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A fans in the room? A couple of you? Yep. <laughs> oh, let's all write letters. Can we write letters? That's not the point of this morning, but yeah. let's do that. Um, Lots of fears. So one of the things that if you're a Christian, um, a believer, that one of the things that you are passionate about, hopefully, is that your children would understand Jesus, would know and love and walk with Jesus. And even if you're not a, a mom or a dad in the room today, what you know is there's people in your life that, that you probably want to have faith, that you probably hope would, would, would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. But what we're seeing right now, statistically, is that people are walking away from the church quicker than they're walking into the church. And it, it may be a little deceptive, especially here in Alaska, because right now the church is kind of growing, and we're seeing some really cool things happening. But culturally speaking, and if you look at, look at the population in general, fewer and fewer people are identifying as Christians, and fewer, fewer, and fewer people are actually coming to church. And so, uh, few statistics about this. According to a Gallup poll, 70% of Americans were part of a church in 1999. Some of you remember 1999. 70%, and now only 47% are part of a church in 2020. So we just dipped below half for the first time in American history, something to, to be aware of. Yeah, and what we really want to touch on today, too, is this idea of the youth exodus, that there are many um, youth that have grown up into the church and then um, are leaving in, in droves. And so some of the s- statistics that I have is 70% of teens who attended youth groups stopped attending church within two years of their high school graduation. And then... 
Three independent surveys showed that among self-proclaimed Christians, 41% of them are uncertain if Jesus was physically resurrected, 63% didn't believe Jesus was the son of the one true God, and 33% believe Jesus is not the only way to heaven. So some pretty crucial beliefs. Yeah, these are, are these are in our faith. If you're like, well, what's the problem? These are key. So if you're a believer, this is key to our orthodoxy, to our doctrine as Christians. Um, are these these things? And so um, we want to touch on this one reality here this morning, and it's this: that we should be passing on our faith, but the next generation is passing on faith. They're taking a pass. They're like, hey, that's not for me. That was my parents' thing. That's maybe my friend's thing. But it's just, it's not something that I need in my life is to have any sort of faith. And, and in fact, I would say that probably some of you have thought about this before. And you've seen that uh, students and, and uh, teenagers or college students are walking away from the church um, at a high rate of speed. And maybe you've got some ideas of why that's happening. But I think there's probably some myths as to why people are walking away from the church today. Yeah, so some myths about the youth exodus is, one, they all walk away but come back. So we take some reassurance that, oh, it's okay, they'll walk away, but they'll come back. The second myth, because my kids go to Awana, youth group, Christian schools, they're going to be okay. And then the final one, teens don't need to be able to defend their faith until college. Yeah, so not true. Um, in, in any of those things, I think, I think a lot of people feel this. And I was a youth pastor before I became a teaching senior pastor. And if you're a youth pastor or maybe you serve with ACF Youth Culture, probably your greatest frustration is this idea that parents sort of drop their kids off and they're like, hey, you take care of my kids' spiritual growth. I'll make sure they get fed at home, like food and water and they have a place to live and a, and a bed to sleep in. I'll make sure that they are literally breathing when I take them to you. You make sure that they have spiritual life. That's your job. This is my job. And certainly that's, that's just not working, right? Because if, if, if God sort of only exists in our students' lives in a building or, or at this, this church place, but not at home, then, then that's not a real God, right? That's not a God that, that can handle the stresses and challenges of life. And, and I, one of the things I was thinking as we were discussing this this week um, was I wonder for, for us as parents if we need to start off by looking at ourselves, I mean, really, in so many ways, our, I, I think a lot of parents do this. You'll come to church, and people tell me this, that they started coming back to church. They hadn't been to church in many years, and it's because they started having kids. And if that's you, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that that was a, a catalyst for you to, to seek out faith or seek out going to church. But I think for a lot of us, our faith maybe isn't real. And here's the real convicting part, is what if our children are simply modeling the faith that we've shown them? Like, what if they're literally just doing what we've shown them how to do? If, if you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian, or at least I want my kids to be Christians, and if you pin me down, I'd say I'm a Christian. But, you know, you're, you're a once-a-month-to-church person, and, you know, you don't talk about Jesus or your faith around the campfire when you're camping here in Alaska. You know, you don't open the Word at home. Uh, as you're talking about cultural issues with your kids, you're not bringing up uh, what does the Scripture have to say about this. You know, you're not living a generous lifestyle. You're not telling your friends about Jesus, if you're not doing any of those things, but you want your kids to be believers and you want them to follow faithfully, I wonder if you've set them up to fail. Because here's what I know as a parent, and this is terrifying, right? Is that our children will not be, they'll not be become like who we tell them to be. They're going to become who we are. 
Have you parents realized that? Like they just, they're like little mirrors. It's terrifying. They're just doing stuff and you're like, you are so annoying. And your wife's like, it's you. Like you are <laughs> literally being modeled uh, specifically by that child. And so you start to see yourself in your kids. And, and this is the challenging thing is that, is that maybe we want our kids to go to places we've never been. We want them to have a faith that we've never actually had. So, I mean, so we're still Christians. That's good news. Um, we stayed in the church. Uh, good news. So your pastor's a Christian. So why did... Thank you, sweetheart. Why, why are we still Christians? Why are you still in the church? Because we've all had chances to walk away from this. Yeah, it's so funny. I remember um, in middle school talking to one of my friends after church. Um, I had gone back to her house, and I was just like, do you think when you grow up that you'll go to church? And she was like, yeah, I, I, I definitely think I will. And I was like, I don't think that I will. And it wasn't any sort of like rebellion. I just didn't see this big need in my life um, to go to church. Uh, and then I went into high school and I did some wandering um, and I experienced that life without Jesus. And then um, I had to go on a missions trip. Um, I was forced to go. And so then I re-experienced Jesus. And so that was what really got me was comparing my life without Jesus to what I was currently experiencing. And so, um, you know, then when I was getting ready to go to college, that was a big thing. Um, once I got there, I was like, I just need to ground myself in good friendships with Christian people who can help me in this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, so I grew up in a strong Christian home and I'm thankful for that. Um, what's interesting is I hear a lot of students who are like, well, that's a boring story. You know, I think there's, there's probably some of you in the room that need to be more thankful for your story. Like if you grew up in a Christian family, if your parents loved you really well and, you know, from a really young age, you just understood who God was and, and you walked faithfully with him and maybe you didn't choose some things that your friends chose to walk into. And so, you know, now your testimony is kind of boring. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord, right? Don't seek that out. I think a lot of, a lot of people are like, I need a better story. What do you want, right? You want to be like sleeping drunk on a street corner and like, yay, I've got a good story. Anybody that's done that is like, don't do that. It's not a good story. It's not good for you. You don't need that. This is a great story of God's faithfulness in your life. And so uh, I just, I, I plugged into the church early when I got into high school. I got into a great student ministry and, and I just remember adult men who noticed me and called the best out of me and just challenged me to become a man. And, and guys that were not even in my family that were just calling the best out of me. And then I got into ministry and went through a crisis of faith. Uh, I was leading worship, leading a youth group. I still remember leading worship with these people and being up front playing guitar and going, I don't like any of you, <laughs> which is not what you want from your worship leader. But that's what was going on in my mind. And I was dealing with this kind of deconstruction of my faith. And I didn't really know what I believed anymore. And, and uh, sort of the immature faith of my childhood was not withstanding some of the challenges of adulthood. And it was a really important journey to go through. Uh, I ended up really de-churched. I was really struggling with the local church. Um, I, I, I knew what I thought the bride of Christ should be, but I really didn't know how to love her for what she was. Hmm. And some of you need to hear that today. Um, and, and so that was me in ministry. And in fact, I bet if you talk to, if you know a pastor, um, people in ministry, there's a lot more of them that are struggling with their faith than you realize. 
And in fact, a lot of uh, pastors will get out of ministry and then never go back to church. I see this a lot. And so it, it can be a real faith crisis. And then um, we came up to Alaska to be part of this thing called Alliance Christian Fellowship. It was just a small group of 30 people in this room. And, and it was really cool. And we, we, we became a church that was here to love our city, uh, a church that we, we wanted to be the kind of church that if we disappeared, that Eagle River would miss us. Mm-hmm. That's the vision. And, and so you guys have done that in so many ways. Um, my heart has been healed through you. My heart has been healed through ACF Church and through uh, us being the kind of community that, that I, I'm just inspired by. And so God's just done really good stuff in my life through being, being here. So thank you for that. Um, I think the scriptures have a lot to say about passing on our faith. Um, Amanda, would you give us some text on that? Yeah, Psalm 71, 18 says, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. I like that. Third John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Amen to that. I hope that's your greatest joy as a parent. Yeah. Um, Proverbs fourteen twenty six. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. And so our job, our task is to fear God, to have this holy reverence of him and have it bleed into our children. Yeah, absolutely. Then there's the classic fear of the Lord passage that parents always use, Ephesians 6, 1. Um, in fact, if you're a parent, you've probably lobbed this like a, like a spiritual grenade at your children once in a while when they don't clean their rooms or do what you want them to. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Don't poke anybody while I'm preaching this. Just hold on. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, right? Which is like the biblical equivalent of I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it, right? So, and then I love verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That one hit me uh, recently because I just found that I would have a long day at work and I'd go home and I'd just be like poking at my kids. Like, I just want to annoy you. I want to frustrate you because I've had a long day. Not great parenting. So, The question really is, if people are walking away from the church, how have we contributed to that? Mm -hmm. Is there something that we have done to to cause this or to contribute to that? I think there are a lot of things. In fact, we asked on social media this week, like, why aren't people going to church? Why is it that that maybe your friends would say that they don't want to call themselves Christians or go to the church? And and, uh, the number one reason that that I always get with this question is uh, the word hypocrisy. That Christians say they believe one thing and then live another. And in fact, one thing that, that you may not have heard a pastor say before is that it's better for you to not identify as a Christian and live unfaithfully than it is to say, I'm a Christian and live unfaithfully. Like, you're better off just to say, I'm, I don't actually believe this stuff. I don't actually want to live this life outside of these doors. Um, I, I want to come to church. I want to have some friendships. I'm interested, but I'm not calling myself a Christian. It's probably better for Christianity that people would do that than say, hey, I'm a Christian, and then go and live completely differently. And so that kind of leads into the second thing that I think a lot of people struggle with, which is that um, Christians have a lot of what I would call unrepentant sin, things that we don't admit are wrong in our lives. And I would say that non-Christians and non-believers who are looking in at the church, they don't expect us to be perfect. They just would expect us to acknowledge our imperfections. Does that make sense? And when we can't do that, it does not increase their trust 
or their faith in Christianity, right? Like, like we are broken. I, I hope that if you're here, you know, like, this is a room full of people that need a Savior. That's why we come to church. That's the whole purpose in coming to church. But one of the marks of a Christian is that we have been humbled to the point that we cry out for a Savior, and that we do that consistently. We say, God, I need you. I don't have this figured out. And so I don't think it's your mistakes that run people off quite so much as it is that we think that we're, we're, we're fooling people, right? We think that they don't see our mistakes and that it's better if we hide them. Yeah, or yeah, that they don't, we don't want them to see it. And I think this needs to be modeled in our house. So when we mess up with our children, we need to apologize That's to pretty our hard. children. It's hard to do. Yes. Yeah. I'm getting very good at it, though. Yeah, there's a feeling that we lose trust instead of building trust, but I think it builds yeah. trust. And then I think in our workplaces, you know, if we um, offend, get angry, like we need to apologize to those coworkers, that's what's really going to speak to them more than trying to be perfect or brushing it under the rug. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think scare tactics aren't helping. So if, if maybe you've been presented with a gospel that went something like this, um, you can spend eternity with Jesus in heaven or you can burn in hell. Which one do you want? And you said, I'll take heaven anytime, right? Burning in hell sounds terrible. If that's, the, if that's as big as the gospel is in your mind, there's no wonder that you've walked away. Honestly, like the gospel is so much bigger than that. It's so much better than that. It's, it's about a king and a kingdom and heaven coming to earth, God existing here. It's not just simply heaven and hell. And so uh, I, I think that scare tactic has not helped the next generation uh, to really understand the greater narrative that you've been invited into as somebody who's, who's being invited into a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and heaven is this reward that we get, whereas when we're down here on earth, you know, we're... We're designed to love people, to make it, you know, like the kingdom of God, to usher in that second coming. Right. Yep. So a, a few things just that I see in this is that there's a lot of shame involved when it comes to the next generation or even family members. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family and your family members are not following Jesus. And there can be a tendency to place that on ourselves and to own that and to carry the burden of someone else's salvation. And I think maybe somebody needs to hear this today, that sometimes it's necessary to wander before you find your way home. Um, sometimes the wandering is so important. It's key that you spend a season trying to find out what the truth is. The, the deconstruction can be really important. You spend a season going, what do I believe? And what is a foundation that's, that's worthy of, uh, of basing my life on? And if, if it hasn't been firm, then I need, to, I need to rebuild it. And this is a key part of people's spiritual journey. And in fact, the Bible is full of people that have wandered. It's full. Yeah, yeah. So we'll start with John the Baptist. So he is the one who um, ushered in the coming of Jesus, and he um, baptized Jesus, and then he finds himself in prison, and he's like, mm, I'm not really sure that this is the one. I'm not sure that he is the Messiah. Uh, we have Simon Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Elijah, Thomas, we know him as Doubting Thomas, the father of the epileptic epileptic son. It's a hard word. Yeah. <laughs> um, he is the one who said, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Um, Gideon, Moses, David, the man after God's own heart, Jonah, Mary, and Martha. That one really stuck out to me. Um, Jeremiah. Then we have Abraham and Sarah. You know, they kind of ebbed and flowed on those promises of Jesus. And then Jesus. Like, he was like, take this cup from me. Like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but... I've done better things. Yeah, this, I, painful. this idea of doubt is something that's really key that we understand. Like, if you've got some doubts and you're in the room, again, you're in the right place. Like, we all have doubts. Um, I, I've yet to meet somebody who's actually 100%. Like, they believe 100%. They may say it, but if you look at their life, and if they were to be honest about it, they have some doubts mm-hmm. about who God is, about the promises of God, about God's faithfulness to them. And you see that in our actions, right? And so I just believe this, that doubts are a legitimate phase of your spiritual journey. And as we look at all of these different men and women of our faith that we would really put on a pedestal, you see, man, these people have walked the walk. They've been on a journey. They have wandered themselves. And so certainly if somebody's wandering, that's probably part of uh, what God is going to, to bring them through. And so if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 15 real quick. Can um, I just say something really quick? Yeah, you can say so something. So I think it's really, it's great if you doubt. It's okay to have those doubts. Just make sure you don't stay in those doubts. So a lot of those people, they put in the work to find the, um, the answers that they were looking to. They didn't just say, I have my doubts. And so, you know, I'm piecing out. They're like, what? Let's do some research into this. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay, so, uh, no, that's great. So there, there's a story. This is a parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son and probably one of the most well-known and well-shared stories in the Bible. And Jesus is telling these parables to help us to understand the character of God and his love for humanity, how he just keeps on seeking, keeps on searching, calling, and knocking. And so uh, would you read that for us? Sure. Yeah. Luke 15, 11. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to him, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. After a few days, the younger son got everything together and journeyed to a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent all he had, a severe famine swept through that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to it to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his belly with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him a thing. Finally, he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired servants have plenty of food, but here I am starving to death. I will get up and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I finish it out. Yeah. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still in the distance, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son declared, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I think we could kind of just close with that, right? What a great story of redemption and reconciliation. There's some really beautiful keys in this text. What do you notice in that story? 
Yeah, so in this story, um, I relate to it um, this time as the son who, who wandered. And, you know, in reading this, it doesn't say he was um, filled with hate for his father, that he um, wasn't sure if his father loved him, that he no longer wanted to be part of the family. He just had the allure of the world pulling him. He wanted to leave the house and to get out and experience the world. It wasn't ever about his father. And in my story, it's the same. Like for me, I always believed that God existed. um, And that was never in question. But what was, but I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. Well, and as parents, we take that personally, right? So so we internalize the wandering. And, And it may not even be about us, but we make it about us. And, and, and honestly, that comes from an identity issue. Uh, many times, we, we don't know who we are apart from the things that we do, um, including our parenting. And so if we don't know who we are in Jesus, and our, and our children make decisions because they're little human beings, as sinful as we are, right? And, and they make these decisions, we start to internalize them, and it keeps us from loving them like, like we're supposed to. We, ca- we can't actually love people who we're getting our identity from. Does that make sense? And so uh, as our kids are going to make decisions— it's important that we understand that it's not, it's not about us many times. I mean, we can, we can own what we need to own and be like, yeah, I flew off the handle or I, you know, drug her to church for so many years that she made her hate it or whatever it is and say, and you can apologize for whatever you did wrong, but, but don't begin to own their salvation. It's just not your job. And so, yeah, yeah. mine was never rebelling. Like I would always want to keep it secret from my parents because I loved my parents. Like I would be so disappointed if they had found out, which now we're recording. And now it's out. (laughs) Sorry, mom. But it was never about my parents. Yeah. Yeah. What I see in the story too is that this son, this was a completely premeditated event. This rebellion. I mean, he had planned this thing out. You you see, they packed everything up. You know, it'd be like if you today just went out, you know, you start throwing everything in the car. You fit all of your stuff, all your precious belongings. You bring the dog, right? There, there's nothing that you're going to leave because you're not planning on coming back. Like, this is a premeditated plan to go and experience, like, to go build your testimony if that's what you want to go do. Go, go build your story and just see what might happen. And, and the interesting thing is he seeks out the inheritance and asks for that, which you know, we read that and we're like, well, that's terrible. He's not even dead yet. You're asking for his money. But culturally speaking, this, this is something that may have happened occasionally and, and was not that uncommon that a son would seek out the inheritance early. But the key was he wanted the money and he wanted to leave. Like he wanted to take the money and run. And so this was a huge act of disrespect to his family. And the really big thing that I noticed this week reading this was that the father actually gave it to him. He chose to actually, he knew what he was going to do with it, and he gave it to him anyway. And some of you are in that season where you have walked away from God, like you've taken your blessing and ran. And what you may be doing, and maybe the son did for a season, was if life is great, you're having fun, the money's flowing, you've got a good relationship, you've got some friends, you may mistake all of that for God's blessing. You may start to think that God is allowing you to do this because he blesses what you're doing. Instead, he's given you enough rope to hang yourself with, right? Uh, parents, we know how to do that, right? We give them a little bit uh, at a time, and then they have to go through some, some hard knocks to learn the lessons that we had to learn, for sure. So a few questions that this brings up. Is, the first is really, what can we do? 
Can we do anything about this? Is this just going to happen? Is it just how it's going to be? Um, and I really believe that there are some things that we can do about this. And if you want to jot these three things down, you can do that. The first is this, um, that you can't pass on what you've never had. So make Jesus the Lord of your life. So this is really important, is that if you have people in your life, people in your circles, uh, if you don't have kids, just look at the people around you and ask this question. Are they moving toward Jesus or away from him? Because again, maybe they're simply modeling the faith or that they're simply living the faith that you have modeled for them. And so we have to be honest that, that people will follow us and that we can't actually expect them to go to places that we have never been. And we want to, to motivate them, certainly. And as parents, I know you struggle with this. Maybe as kids get older, do you force them to go to church if they don't want to go or whatever it is? But we want to do more than just motivate by fear. We want to motivate by inspiration. I mean, you guys know this, that fear is a terrible motivator. We, t- we start off talking about this. Fear is a terrible... I, I do not do my best parenting from fear. I don't make my best decisions from fear. And so what we need to do is inspire. Like, what if you were living a life that was spiritually inspiring to not just your children, but to your coworkers, to your friends, to the people that, that are watching you? I, I think that is, that, that's how the church begins to grow. That's how people want to engage. Yeah, well, and that's how we grow personally, you know, so it's great to, um, you know, to think about your children and your coworkers too, but like when you have that life, like your life is changed when you have Jesus, you know, so everybody benefits in that situation. Absolutely. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5, would you read that for us? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Can't you see for yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless you actually fail the test? What a, what a challenging verse, right? Have you done this lately? Uh, maybe you've come to church for quite some time. Have you tested your faith? Now, what does that actually look like? Um, for me, it would look like talking to somebody who knows me best and asking them, do you think my faith is real? I just want to encourage you, if you're a parent, um, or if there's people in your life that are walking away from God, walking away from the church, I want to encourage you to ask someone that question this week. Somebody that knows you, somebody that will not lie to you, go, go to somebody that's very honest and say, is my faith actually real? Yeah, what do you know? Do you notice anything Do in you notice life? a difference? Yeah. That... The second thing we, I think we can do is this, understand the lies that are being fed to our kids. This is really important. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we understand what is it that they are believing. I'm not sure we're even listening many times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They ask so many questions that sometimes... You, you love questions. Tend to yeah, every mom loves lots of questions. More questions, the better. Yeah, yeah there's like, there was, I can't remember where I read it, but how moms are the ones who get asked all the questions, like over everybody, doctors, surgeons throughout the day, it's moms who get the most questions. And dads, we just say no. I've learned no more. I just Why say no. Do I don't get any more questions. Why they me when they're <laughs> sitting right next to him, but they'll come into my room and find me to ask me the questions. It's public therapy now. Anyway, That's okay. That's not what we were talking yeah, about. keep going. So we're talking about the lies. So be aware of these lies that are being fed to your children. And so I recently read this book. It's called Mama Bear Apologetics. Um, I'm not uh, in love with the name. It sounds kind of soft and squishy, but it's really it's a great good. Book. It's a really good, um, deep book. And she points out some different isms, and these are the lies that are being told to your children. 
self-helpism, which is God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, it's everywhere. So you go to Barnes and Noble and there's like a whole section of just self-help books. Those are what a lot of people are turning to. I just need to do it myself. What happens when you go to a self-help book when yourself is the problem? That's that's the issue. Yeah, I'm the issue. you have to go to another section. <laughs> is, is that how you do it? <laughs> I don't know what right. <laughs> Okay, the second one, naturalism. My brain is trustworthy according to my brain. That sounds scary. Skepticism. I'd believe in God if there were any shred of evidence. And this is where I would really challenge people to, to do some research. Um, so in the terms of ancient documents and like the proof of Jesus's resurrection and him being here on earth, there are 24,000 documents for the New Testament, like manuscripts of the New Testament, 24,000. The one in second place is 1,900. And that's the Iliad. That is a big difference, but people are like, there's not enough evidence um, for Jesus. And so I would say, you know, a lot of times that's skepticism. You know, if somebody has even looked at the evidence and then is still not believing. Uh, Next one, postmodernism. The truth is there is no truth. Is that true? So is that true? That's a good question. I don't know. Moral (laughs) relativism. You're wrong to tell me that I'm wrong. That applies in marriages. It does. (laughs) Emotionalism, follow your heart. It never lies. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. It lies a lot. That's bad. The heart is deceitful deceitful above all things. Yeah, there's a lot. I did a Devo on that. Yeah, it's good. Sign up for the Devo. Um, Pluralism, just worship something. We don't care what it is. Just worship something. Um, And then this idea of new spirituality. So I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Yep, that's a that's a really common one right now is just have some sort of spirituality that just believe in something and it will save you. Um, but but what we believe and what we go back to in the words of Jesus is that um, he is the way, the truth and the life and that no one comes to the father except Amen. through Jesus. And so he, it is a exclusive claim. It, 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 Christianity is the most in, inclusive, exclusive faith that exists. It's, it, it's exclusive in the idea that Jesus is the only way and it's inclusive in the in the reality that all are welcome. There is no one beyond the reach of God's hand mm-hmm. and that you've never done so much that God has done, done with you. And so this is really key that we understand this. And we need to begin, I think, can we do a better job of talking about these things? Mm-hmm. I think as parents, sometimes we get so scared of what our children believe or what our friends are believing it, that we don't even want to open our ears to the conversation. And this is why people walk away from the church, because it, they can't get their questions answered in the church. They're going to go somewhere else. Yeah, so then they go to their high school teachers or their professors, and, and they have the answers. Or YouTube. They're just their answers. Just YouTube, YouTube it. YouTube, yeah. You could YouTube, YouTube Faith. That'd be a good series. Yeah, we should do that. Good. YouTube Faith. Because and you can find anything. If, whatever you want to believe, you can find someone to affirm it. Yes. Whatever you want to believe. So we have to be able to have those conversations in the church. And I am so passionate about this. If you're new to, church, to ACF, we say this all the time, that we exist to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched, the unchurched, and the de-churched. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't know that there are a lot of communities where if you are de-churched, you're here and you're just like super cynical, that, uh, that you would be welcome. But that's, I love the cynic. If you're here and you're like, I don't know what I think about you, bro. I'm so glad that you're here. I love that. If you leave here and you're like, I don't believe what that guy said, I'm okay with that. Trust me. I'm comfortable enough in my own skin. You don't have to agree with me. Um, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't bother me. But have a conversation about it. 
Let, like, like, let's talk about it. Let's grow. Get in a ACF group. Have these discussions. I think a lot of people are going through something, um, we've kind of referred to it, called deconstruction, which is this journey of realizing that your childhood faith isn't enough to sustain you as an adult, that it needs to mature. And in fact, some things that you learned as a child maybe were either incomplete or completely wrong. And so you, as an adult, then those things start falling apart, and you need a space where that's okay. And I just want you to know this is a place where it's okay to do that. Um, in fact, I've gone through that while being in the church, that this deconstruction, this journey of kind of figuring, and a lot of people are walking away from something, I'll tell you, that isn't even real. It's not even the real Jesus that you're walking away from. You're walking away from a false Jesus. And so if you need this deconstruction journey so that you can walk away from a false Jesus and find the true Jesus, then I want to encourage you to keep deconstructing. Like, go down that road. If you're walking away from this, this kind of church uh, mode where you just see the church as judgmental and hateful, and you're walking away from this image of God that's judgmental and hateful, then walk away from it. That's not Jesus at all. And this is what's so hard is that people walk away from God or walk away from the church because they see the church as a perfect example or like it's supposed to be a perfect example of Jesus. And we just know that we are a, a dimly lit example of Jesus. We're doing our best. But in the end, Jesus is the one that we fix our eyes on. He is the ultimate savior. The church is not. And so we're here to put our eyes on Jesus. And if you're on a journey asking deep questions, walking away from some things, uh, maybe you're walking away from things that you should have walked away from. But, but the goal is to keep looking to Jesus, asking good questions, and leaning in to community. Yeah, and we, you know, we need to make sure that we keep those doubters, those wanderers, you know, still close to us. You know, feel free to ask the questions. Like, even if it's the same question you asked last week and you're still just not set in it. But we do, we need to make sure that we're keeping them still in close to us. Don't let yeah. them wander you know, I'd let my children go out just as far as right to the street. And then I'm like, okay, you know, and so bring them back in. Let yeah. them ask those questions, but bring them back in. Absolutely. And be, be willing to say, I don't know. Like, you're not fooling anybody when you try to just come up with some bumbling answer. You don't really know the answer to the question. I think as Christians, we need to get better at that. People will come to me after church and ask a question. I'll be like, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I'm going to have to, they're like, remember in Isaiah chapter 27 verse? I'm like, nope, I don't. I know a pastor. I'm supposed to have the whole Bible memorized, but I'm going to have to take a second. I'm going to have to look it up. Like, it's okay to say, let's go find the answer. Let's study it together. Mm -hmm. The last thing is this, and probably the most important thing, if you miss everything else, is this, that it's their job to make a decision, but your job is to love them. In the end, that is all you're here to do is not to bear the burden of them making that choice. I want you to know this. This is really important. Is that if you bear the burden of someone else's salvation, you will always end up manipulating them. You can't really love them for where they're at because too much of it is about you. And so the goal is not to leave them out in the cold or to just let them wander alone, but it's to be with them on the journey. If somebody's wandering, maybe, maybe you could be in the wandering with them. Maybe you could love them in the process. Maybe, maybe they walked away from the faith, and so they felt like because of that, they had to walk away from you. Maybe you could reassure somebody that, hey, I still love you. You're still part of the family. We're still friends. Even though you don't believe what I believe right now, I can still love you right where you are. 
Make sure that you are loving other people's children as well. The author of um, Mama Bear Apologetics, she is not a mom, but this call on her life um, extends past just children, your children. Um, you know, she's looked out to other people's children. Um, and that's a big thing. Like, we want, I want my kids' friends to come over and to be able to find a safe place. This week, uh, one of my son's friends, they, there was a bunch of them over, and one came and sat on the couch with me and read. It was just him and I, and we sat there and read together for like an hour, and I was like, this is it. Like, this is key. Yeah, statistically, the teenagers who go to college and stick with the church typically have three to five adults who are not their parents who invested into them on a spiritual level. So this is really, really key. This is why we have something called youth culture at ACF. We don't just do youth group, but we invite our teenagers to own the church. This is your church. It's why we just launched something called 1825, which is our college age group that gets together. And, and uh, we believe that that's a, that's a time of your life where you need people around you who are wrestling in the same ways that you are. And so definitely connect with other people's kids and realize this that the wanderers are worth it. They're worth the effort. If you are worth the effort, so are they. And just bringing it back to the prodigal son story, whenever I read that story, I always put myself in the shoes of the son. But I think sometimes we get to be the father in the story. Sometimes we get to be the ones worried sick, up late at night, sitting at the window, looking out, just praying and hoping that they'll come back home. But I just want you to know that that's, that's what God did for you. And that is a worthy calling for you to do that for someone else. So maybe you need to get back on your knees and pray for that person that you've given up on. Maybe you need to open your life to somebody that you kind of closed out a long time ago. Maybe you need to just allow people to ask questions and create an environment where questions are welcomed. And they're okay. It's okay if you have some struggles. But in the end, what we see in this text and in this story is that God loves the wanderer. And, and so should we. Yeah, so I think what's beautiful in that is, you know, so you have three characters within the prodigal son story. So you have the, the son, the wanderer, the father, and then the other son who was very angry when his um, father just accepted his brother back. But what I think is so beautiful is he said, but while he was still in the distance, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You know, if we're loving those wanderers, are we welcoming them the same way? Or are we the, the brother who is just angry and resentful? Or, or are, we, are they expecting the third degree when they come back? You know, yeah, I mean, now, if you're going to give them the third degree, like yeah. now I have to support you because you spent all my money. <laughs> right. Yeah. He doesn't make any, he doesn't he say, Hey, say you know, you got to pay me back. Here's what you did. Here's why you did it. He just embraces him. him. And, uh, you know, just to embrace somebody, to love them where they're at, doesn't mean that you affirm everything they've done. God doesn't affirm everything you've done, and yet he still embraces you and loves you. So let's do the same. Uh, a few action steps for us here to move forward. If you want to grab your little insert, it was on your seat somewhere. Uh, we just do this every single week. We pick an action step and uh, just drop it in the basket on the way out. And this is just a way, we're going to text you some encouragement so that you can take a step forward if you want to just fill that out. But Yeah, so on the first one, it's get to know someone else's teenager. 
just like we spoke about last a couple minutes ago. Number two, begin to develop an explanation for your faith. This is the, the concept of apologetics. So pick up a book. This is a really great one. I have a couple of other apologetic books that are good, but be able to say, this is why I defend it because your personal experience isn't going to be enough for your children. They haven't experienced that. So you're like, I've stayed a Christian because I felt Jesus while well, your kids need a little bit more. They need their yeah. own experience. Well, we do too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about this? Offer grace to someone who's wandering. Maybe welcome that person back into your life. Or the fourth thing, begin an honest relationship with Jesus. Just coming back to that question, are, are, are your kids or the people in your life simply uh, modeling the faith that you have modeled for them? They're simply doing what you do. And so I, I don't think we can do anything else until we start with our relationship with Jesus. Is it real? Is it legitimate? Have you asked those questions of the people that know you best? And if not, today's your day to begin a relationship with Jesus. He is waiting for you with open arms. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us as we close. Father, thank you so much for the church. Thank you for this city, this community that we get to live in and love on. Today, I pray that uh, if, if we have not had an honest relationship with you, that today would be the day that we begin that. For the men and women this, in this room, that we could be real with ourselves and uh, real with each other. Father, we pray for the wanderers in our lives. God, if we've been judgmental or fearful, God, or made it about us, would you do something in our hearts right now so that we can make it about them? We can love them where they are. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for receiving us with open arms. God, that you are always ready to welcome us back. We are a rebellious and stiff-necked people, Father. We don't know how you love us, but you do. Would you just, through your spirit, give us just a portion of your ability to do that for our children and for the people in our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.